mildly alarming statement here. The Pac-12 football season is halfway over. I know. Where did the time go? So at this point in the season, let's rank the best offenses and the best defenses we've seen in the Conference of Champions so far. Let's go. Our Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked Up Pac-12. I am your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view of the day if you're watching on YouTube. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with all things Conference of Champions, which is why, if you haven't already, please like, comment, subscribe, wherever you're listening to or watching the show. Five-star views on Apple Podcasts, those help as well. Big thank you to everybody who has done all of that good stuff and who continues to support the show. I greatly, greatly appreciate all of you, and I greatly appreciate LinkedIn Jobs, the official college football recruiting sponsor here at the Lockdown College Network, LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college terms and conditions apply. Not just the terms, but the conditions as well. Why are there two? I don't know. I don't make the rules. I just abide by them. I did, however, make a list of the top 12 offenses, or I should say the best offenses in the conference going 1 to 12, and the best defenses going 1 to 12. So we are going to start at the top, and then we'll end with the bottom because we're at the halfway point. So I think it's a good time to assess what we have seen and what we might expect going forward and what certain teams need to improve upon, which units have to be better for teams to hit their ceilings, which teams could be better. Let's get to all of it. We're starting with offense because it's 2022. Football is about the offense. And you know how I know that? USC was a four-win team last year, and they're sitting at 6-0 and heading into a showdown this Saturday in Salt Lake City. Spoiler alert, I like the Utes to win that game and cover the minus three or three and a half, depending on where you look. But the best offense in the Pac-12 to this point has been USC. I know they did not play well against Oregon State. I don't think any Trojan fan in the world is going to argue with you, but they ended up getting the win. A very important win. A game I thought they would lose. They could have lost. Beaver fans will tell you they should have lost. And yet, USC's offense, the defense made a play for sure, but I don't think it was a guarantee that Chance Nolan was going to be able to move him down the field. They had a game-clinching interception, but the offense came through when it needed to, even on its worst day of the year. But when I'm evaluating what's the best offense, there are a lot of things I'm looking at. Who's your quarterback? What are your stats this year? What are your weapons? What's your offensive line like? And just kind of the overall feel of how they play together. And USC is top right in basically every category. Like the offensive line is the weakest of those areas, right? Between quarterback, weapons, and and coach slash play caller, offensive line is the weakest for USC, but they're not slouches. Now, is it a dominant offensive line unit? From what I've seen, I would say no. Maybe USC fans disagree, but I don't think they're a dominant unit. Are they good enough to score a lot of points? Bet your arse they are. That is that is a perfectly sufficient and then some offensive line for what Lincoln Riley wants to do. And here's the thing about USC. The offensive line, I don't think it's as good as, say, like an Oregon State or an Oregon or, heck, even a Utah. Though their offensive line has been a little suspect at times this year. Or a UCLA. 
But when you have Lincoln Riley as your head coach, you don't have to have a perfect offensive line. You do not. Because if you have a really smart play caller, the way that he currently is and will be for the foreseeable future, I don't know if you've seen what's happened to Oklahoma since he left. He took a lot of talent with him, but Oklahoma, you wonder how really strong brands become bad? Oklahoma might be in the middle of finding out right now. They just got whacked by Texas. It was 49 to nothing. That's like what USC could have done to Rice this year. That should never happen. Backup quarterback or not, that should never happen. Kansas play with a backup quarterback this weekend. But I bring that up to say that Lincoln Riley's value as a play caller cannot be underestimated. Yes, he's got great personnel. But that guy knows when to call what. The offense is multiple. They are a lot more balanced than people think. But if they want to just throw the ball and go over the top, Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, Mario Williams and company can do just that. Travis Dye has been a great addition. You've got a bunch of other weapons on that offense. I've only listed a few of them, but those are kind of the most notable ones. And when I watch USC play, I say that's an explosive lineup of weapons. You've got a top-tier quarterback. The offensive line is good enough for what you're doing, clearly. And you've got the best play caller in the conference. So the number one offense that I've seen so far, yeah, it goes to USC. Number two, the other school in UCLA. The other school in Los Angeles, which is UCLA. Chip Kelly, during his tenure with the Bruins, and I talked about him on Monday's show about how he's been given time to build this thing up. And this is the year for UCLA. Like if they're going to win the Pac-12 championship, this is the season to do it. You've got Dorian Thompson Robinson. You've got Zach Charbonnet. You've got Jake Bobo. You've got some offensive line pieces. The the new defensive coordinator they've got, Bill McGovern, looks to be a solid hire, doing some good things on that side of the ball. But that's the side that they've always needed to improve upon, right? Ever since Chip Kelly got there, the offense has been scoring a lot of points. Even when DTR was turning the ball over, they could still score. Remember that game? 2018, I think it was, up in Pullman at Washington State? Cougar fans do. They probably wish I hadn't brought it up. But Chip Kelly knows how to score points. And Chip is a good play caller. And I'm a big DTR fan. I have been all year. He's playing at an exceptionally high level. You've got a running back in Zach Charbonnet who does everything. Their backup running back is good too. But Charbonnet runs the ball between the tackles, outside the tackles, runs through you, pass protects. He can catch the ball. He does so many things. And DTR's chemistry with Jake Bobo has been immense. It has been rapid. And they needed that. After they lost Kyle Phillips and Greg Dulcich. But Ezekiel, the tight end, is a nice find. Bobo was an absolute stud. He has torched the last two teams that, that he has seen and really starting to come into his own in that offense. I like the weapons they've got. I like their offensive line. They're a little more run heavy than, uh, than USC. I'd say at this point, you know, I, I don't have exact figures, but based on just having watched the first half of their season, I think UCLA is probably about 60-40, maybe 50, maybe 55-45 run to pass. And USC is the opposite, right? Kind of 55 to 60 pass to throw. But these two teams are at the top, not the least of which is because they they have balance. They can beat you in multiple ways. Their coaches know that. They're smart with personnel. They're smart with play calling. They're good on third down. They execute, right? UCLA the last couple of weeks, especially on third down, has been lethal. It was the reason they beat Washington is they converted a bunch of third downs and the Huskies could not get off the field. Those are the top two offenses so far. The third one, 
is Oregon's. 500 yards a game. That's leading the conference at this moment. Now, they've got a tougher second half of their conference schedule coming out of the bye. They have UCLA at Austin Stadium. They've still got to play Utah, who maybe they're the best defense in the conference. Do I feel that way? You'll just have to keep listening to find out because I'll get to the defenses ranking them 1 through 12 at this point as well. But Oregon has been night and day from what they were offensively a year ago. Bo Nix is playing the best football of his career. He's got a bunch of weapons that he facilitates the ball to exceptionally well. The offensive line is ridiculously good. They're very experienced. They've got a couple NFL caliber guys, and they just play well together. They have done a tremendous job. That is a Mario Cristobal built offensive line, and that dude, you say what you want about, want about him, he knows how to recruit and build offensive lines. And that duck unit up front, they run the ball really well. They torched Stanford. They torched Arizona. They ran all over BYU as well. They throw it down the field. That's what was missing from their offense a year ago. Bo Nix has got a lot of great chemistry with those wide receivers. Chase Cota, the UCLA transfer, he's been really good. Troy Franklin is a stud. The tight ends, they've got a bunch of running backs, just a lot of weapons for Oregon. They're using a lot of them as well, which is a tough thing to do. But Kenny Dillingham, in his first year as an offensive coordinator, making quite the impression down there in Eugene. What about the rest of the teams in the Pac-12? Where do they fall after the top three on offense? And we're getting to defenses too at some point in the show after I remind you that this episode brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every potential new hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain, 100% that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs, helping you find the right people for your team faster and for free. Go post a job on there. Add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs as number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster and they're qualified for the roles. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So those are the top three offenses I've seen so far. Number four, and this is where it starts to get tricky. It, 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 it is tricky because there are a lot of different ways you can go. I still like the Utes. I, I am not selling my Utah stock. I'm not really selling the Washington stock either because they're right behind Utah at number five. I'll get to them. But Cam Rising is still a good quarterback in this conference. And he doesn't have Brant Keithy anymore. That hurts. That definitely hurts. You know who he does have? His two legs and the legs of Tavion Thomas as well. That's a dynamic backfield that can run the football. And the offensive line has been a little hit and miss this year. Right. That's that's the, the, the vibe I've got from Utes fans is it hasn't been terrible. Right. They've still put up some pretty impressive stats this season, but they can continue to improve. And if that offensive line be, starts to become the Sorny unit we've become accustomed to seeing from Kyle Whittingham teams, then they're only going to get better. But even without Brant Keithy, they've got Dalton Kincaid, who's a great tight end. I like their backup running back, too, in the passing game. Bernard, he's a really, really nice player. But you got Devon Bailey on the outside, and Cam Rising is always making the right play. Like, when you watch Cam Rising, does he ever throw a football? And you go, oh, Cam, what were you doing? It's one of the things I like most about him. He plays like a veteran, experienced quarterback, 
and I think he's going to help lead Utah to their biggest win of the season this Saturday against USC. They get there at number four. Now, Washington is at number five. I think the Huskies' passing attack and the weapons they have on the perimeter are superior to what Utah has. However, I still like Cam Rising more than Michael Penix, and, and Penix has surprised me. Even though he's fallen back the last couple of weeks, I think he'll get back into the groove or at least uh, closer to it that, that we saw for the first month of the season. But Utah is a team that can run the ball better than Washington, though the Huskies did run for five touchdowns. They're still primarily an air-focused attack, and that's what Kalen DeBoer wants to do. I like Washington's receivers a lot more than Utah's, but I trust the consistency of, of the Utes' offense, particularly with their ability to run the football, because like just a little more than Washington's. I think the Huskies are more explosive in the passing game on the perimeter. I think that's unquestionable. But if you're talking about an offense that I'm going to trust more on a week-to-week basis, I'm going with Utah because they have just a little bit more balance. But still, Kalen DeBoer's done a really good job. That offense was pretty bad a year ago. And I don't have to remind Washington fans of that. They know. But it has taken a massive leap forward. And I, I think their passing game is a little above where, where the Utes are at. But I, I think overall, I give the edge to Utah. But Washington comes in with uh, the fifth best offense. Number six, how about the Arizona Wildcats? Can they run the football a lot? Mm, no. They did break a big run against Oregon, who has the best rush defense in the Pac-12 through the midway point here in the season so far, at least statistically. They did break a big run, but they're still working on the offensive line. Jed Fish was asked about it, and he's been pretty blunt about how they just need to go out and find bodies. They just need to be able to go out and and find guys who who are big enough to compete with the players they're seeing on a weekly basis. But the combination of Jaden Delora, Tetsiroa McMillan, Dorian Singer, and Jacob Cowling, those guys can play. Those guys are good athletes. They're good football players. They can move the ball, score points. Cal's defense, which I'll get to later in the show, is not quite what it has been the last couple of years, but it's still solid. And I watched Arizona go put up 31 points in Berkeley, and I think that's impressive. And I'm a Delora fan. He's got some flaws and limitations, doesn't have the biggest arm. He's not super fast, but he's mobile enough, but he can be a little careless at times. He had... Um, a fumbled exchange with Jacob Cowling on a jet sweep. He fumbled another time and threw an interception uh, against Oregon this weekend. So he's still ironing that stuff out, but they can throw the ball and they've got the weapons right now. And I like the chemistry I'm seeing between that, that trio. So Arizona at six, number seven, Oregon state. This may surprise some people, but if you can get chance Nolan back and healthy and back to playing the brand of football, he was through the first three weeks of the season, then this is a very good Oregon State offense. However, one question we had about Chance Nolan coming into this year was, can he be more consistent? And through the first three games, it looked like he was becoming that sort of player. And then the USC game happened, and now he's battling an injury, and the Utah game also happened when he threw multiple interceptions, one of which was returned back for for a touchdown by probably the best defensive player in the conference in Clark Phillips. It's a problem. It's the reason they're not higher on this list. I would have had them above Arizona because they, like like Utah over Washington, have more balance in what they do offensively. But the turnovers have been a problem. 
and I don't know what I'm going to get from Chance Nolan going forward, even if he's healthy. And I don't know if he's healthy. So Oregon State down there at seven, but by the end of the year, they could be up much closer to the top because I love their offensive line and I like the way that they can run the football. And they know what they are offensively as well. They're they're a pro-style offense and they do just that. I've got them one slot ahead of their opponent this week offensively, Washington State. They're still waiting to find a total groove. They only had 14 points against USC, whose defense continues to to get better on a weekly basis. But Cam Ward, much like Chance Nolan, has had the turnover bug this year, and it's held them back. Now, are they capable of of going up this list by the end of the year? Yes, but you have a first-time play caller at the Power 5 level in Eric Morris. At least I don't think he's had a Power 5 job before. He was the head coach at Incarnate Ward, and he and Cam Ward are making that adjustment, making that leap together. And so far, there have been spurts, but the consistency has not been there, so I have them at 8. Arizona State at 9. They put up 38 points. Defense had a touchdown to get to 45 against Washington. The Huskies' defense is not where they would like it to be right now. The secondary is banged up, and they, they just have not been able to, to cover guys consistently and get off the field, like I was mentioning about that, that game at UCLA for Washington. Um, Arizona State has had some nice moments, but they've also had the Utah game. They also had the Eastern Michigan game. You know, I, I can't unsee that, and – Look, is it a different vibe there with Sean Aguano now, especially now that they've gotten a victory? Yeah, sure, but they've now got quarterback questions because you don't know how healthy Emory Jones is going to be going forward. Um, Hopefully he's all right, but he hasn't been as good as he's capable of being this season. Uh, Not not super high in the Sun Devils. I do have them slotted one, one place ahead of Cal that, look, Jay Nott is good. Jay Nott is good. Couple receivers I watched, I think, okay, those are those are decent players, but you got Jack Blummer at quarterback, and um, I, I I'm blanking on the name of of their offensive coordinator, who I I now need to need to look up, but I'm I'm not a big fan of uh, Bill Musgrave. Bill Musgrave is the OC; he's been there for a few years, and he's just never been able to put together a good offense. And this year doesn't appear to be that different. Um, the, you know, they've had some decent moments, but it's kind of the Jaden Ott show. And when you're that reliant on a running back with an offensive line that is okay, it it doesn't give me a lot of hope and and excitement with regards to your offensive potential. Number 11, Stanford. I am not a fan of the long mesh. Now it works for Wake Forest. That's a pretty good football team. The Demon Deacons don't do it as often as Stanford. They don't do it on, you know, like third and eight or third and 10. Give the quarterback an option to hand it off on third and 10. Like, what, what are you doing? You have a guy who has at least somewhat of an NFL caliber arm in Tanner McKee. And I think you're hands, hamstringing him a little bit in that sense. But the other thing I noticed, too. Wake Forest just has better athletes than Stanford by a lot. And it's not that Stanford at Stanford's athletes are you know, woefully inferior, but Wake Forest just looks faster when when they run this stuff. And the offensive line is better. And I think Stanford has let their offensive line slip as the core of their identity on that side of the ball. And the numbers just haven't been there. They've put up a couple garbage time stats, but, you know, they've had turnover problems. They're not moving the ball consistently. I, I just don't really like what I'm seeing from them. And David Shaw should be on the hot seat right now. I don't know if he is, but he should be because they haven't won a game against a real opponent in a long, 
long time. Uh, and then last is Colorado. I don't think I need to do a breakdown there. Um, spoiler alert. They're going to be last for defense too, because yeah, tough, tough times in Boulder. Speaking of the defense, where do those rank one through 12 at the midway point in the season? I'll tell you after I remind you that if you haven't tried built bar puffs, you are depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. They are truly fantastic. I keep them in my golf bag at all times when I'm out on the course to keep me going because they've got 160 calories and a whopping 15 grams of protein. Their newest flavor is the cookie dough chunk puff, real chunks of cookie dough, hundred percent real chocolate, a light, fluffy, chewy, delicious tasting flavor that you will absolutely love, which we, which is why you've got to go get yours. What's great about Built Bars is that all their bars are made with co- collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. So go get your cookie dough chunk puff bars today. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKEDON15, all caps, one word, and get 15% off your order. Promo code LOCKEDON15 for 15% off at Built.com. So let's rank the Pac-12 defenses 1 through 12 at the midway point here in the 2022 season. Number 12, we're going to start at the bottom and work our way up, is Colorado. Yeah, no analysis really, really needed there. I'm sorry, Buff fans. I try to give you as much coverage as I can here on the show, but I mean, what what is there to say at this point? You're down to your third quarterback. The defense can't stop anybody. I just don't, yeah, tough, tough times. Got rid of Carl Durrell. That was the right move. And I, I think that uh, you just got to be, be looking ahead, thinking of the future, and go hire Paul Christ. Uh, number 11, Arizona. They allowed 49 points to Cal. Who, if you remember, and if you've been watching or listening to this show, I have as the number 10 offense so far in the Pac-12. And Arizona allowed 49 points. The rebuild is well underway for Arizona with Jed Fish. But much like Chip Kelly at UCLA, he needs to be given time. Because that's not a place where it's a quick turnaround like a Washington or when uh, when Mark Helfrich was fired and Oregon brought in a couple coaches who were able to have winning seasons right away or, you know, USC, right? Quick turnaround. Arizona is not that sort of job. The rebuild is underway. The offense is, is coming along. I like where they're at. But defensively, they can't stop the run. Over 300 yards allowed to Oregon on the ground this week. Jaden Ott. And Cal also ran for over 300. Ott himself went for 274. Like, it's just, they don't have the bodies over there, don't have the cohesion, the system. It's okay. It's not, you know, like Colorado or anything, but uh, statistically, it's, it's kind of close. And I have not been impressed with what I've seen from them so far. And, and, I don't, and I don't expect to be, right? Like, that is the sort of thing, like Jed Fisher talking about, it takes time. You need bigger guys up front. You need faster players in the secondary. And, and you need those guys also to, to have some coaching under their belt. So, uh, Arizona, number 11, Stanford at number 10, also allowed 300 yards rushing to, to Oregon. You know, the Ducks offense has been quite good, but no matter how much your defense is struggling, you should never allow 300 rushing yards in a game. That that's just major, major red flag. And that USC Stanford game as well. Indicative of what I'm talking about. Travis Dyer ran the ball pretty well in that game, but USC, yeah, they have the best offense, the pac 12 so far, but they were there was no resistance until the second half from Stanford, but by that point it was too late. And they, they just look, they look kind of flat. Honestly, when I watch the Cardinal play on the defense side of the ball, they look flat and, and like, they're just not ready. They've got some players up front 
and they've got Caillou Blue Kelly, but literally everyone else, their linebackers really look like they're struggling this season, and you, you can run on the Cardinal pretty, pretty easily. thought Oregon State would do that more over the weekend. They, they did not, but Stanford at number 10. Arizona State at number 9. Again, they have had a moment here or there, but I just watch them and go, yeah, it's not not very good. USC scored 42 points, and Washington scored 38 at, at home. And yeah, the Huskies are a good offense, but if you want to be higher on this defensive ranking list as a unit, you got to be able to play well against the good teams at Pac-12. And Arizona State, you know, won in a shootout. Their offense deserves credit, but that was more about, I think, one unlucky play. Michael Penix throwing the ball off the back of his helmet uh, or back of the back of the helmet of one of his own offensive linemen. There we go. I got it out. And and it went the other way for a pick six. I think if that play doesn't happen, we're talking about how Washington escaped and, you know, can build on that momentum of a W going forward. But uh, nevertheless, here we are Huskies at, at four and two and their defense comes in at number eight. And you just shouldn't allow 38 points as a unit to Arizona state. Now, they're not completely void of talent, the Sun Devils, but if you're Washington, you score 38 points in a conference game, that's got to be enough to win. And the defense played a, a tough team the week prior in, in UCLA, who's playing really, really good football, as we all know. And I'm not expecting you to make every play, but there are just there have just been too many times where this Washington secondary is getting beat. And they're getting beat so fast that the front seven that still has some players like Zion Tupuola Fatui, I, I might have I might have butchered that name. I apologize. They don't even have time to get to the quarterback because the ball's coming out fast and the receivers are open. Like I, I just have not like they, they lost two NFL caliber players. That was one of my concerns with them coming into the years. Like those aren't just NFL players. That's a first and second round pick. I thought the defense would take a step back, but their injuries have just been too pronounced lately. So right now based on what I've seen and their inability to get off the field on third down. I've got Washington's defense at eight, but I think that's a, that's a candidate to rise over the second half of the season. I, I, I really, really do because they've got some bodies over there where, you know, you can't just run, run on them for 250, 300 yards, like in Arizona, Stanford or Colorado, right? Like that's not going to happen. Their issues are tackling in the secondary and covering in the secondary. But I think those are things that are correctable. If you can get a couple guys uh, back and healthy. Number seven is Cal. Now, Cal is usually higher on this list, and they did play pretty well against Washington State on the road. So maybe I'm undervaluing them a touch, but I, I, I think it's a it's a solid defensive unit. But usually Cal, when I watch them, I think, man, that's a really good defense. And this year I watch them and I think, that's a good defense. It's pretty well coached, but they haven't wowed me to this point the way that they have in the past with, with Justin Wilcox as the head coach. And we'll see what they're able to do this week against Colorado on, on the road. I think that's an opportunity bears uh, favored by 14 and a half in Boulder. Like I was saying, tough times for, for Colorado right now. Um, but Cal and Washington, both I'll do this again at the end of the year, you know, maybe going into bowl season or something Cal and Washington. I think those defenses are, are primed to move up this list. Not guaranteeing they will, but I think those are strong candidates to just go shooting up the the rankings in in this sense. Number 6, I've got Oregon. They have the best rush defense in the Pac-12. However, you can throw on them. Their number 2 corner slot 
occupied right now by TriQuest Bridges has been kind of a revolving door. It's been exploitable. Their safeties are really big bodied guys. So they don't have a roamer, like a true roamer on, on the back end of the defense. So when receivers go over the top, they don't tend to have a lot of safety help. Um, so that's a weakness there, but they get themselves in the middle, even though their passing numbers statistically are kind of middle in the conference and the rushing defense at the top, but on third downs and, and defending the pass, Oregon ha- has been vulnerable this year. Um, so another team that could go up as the year goes on, but I, I suspect they'll kind of be hanging around in, in the middle there uh, if, if we do this again in a, a couple months. So uh, Oregon at six, right above them, Oregon State. I like Oregon's front seven more, but it's the age of passing, and you got to have a great secondary, and I love Oregon State secondary. And who's the only team to hold USC under, I believe, 40 points this year? Well, no, Washington State held them to 30. So who's the only team to hold them under 30? Yeah, that would be Oregon State. That's not an accident. That secondary is good. The fact that they did that against the best receiving core in the conference is really impressive. And I, I continue to like what, what I see from Oregon State on in, in the defensive secondary. Up front, they're okay. But the back end here is where, where I'd really, really like to be. He's in first-year defense coordinator Trent Bray. I think he's doing a good job. Speaking of first-year defense coordinators, I do have UCLA here at number four. Now, I was concerned about this side of the ball coming into the year. And once Bill McGovern had a couple games under his belt and they allowed 31 points at home to a Sunbelt team, but they've elevated their level of play. And they allowed 32 points to both Washington and Utah, both of whom needed to score points late, kind of in garbage time to to get themselves back into it or try to make a late push. That sort of stuff matters. And when I watch UCLA, they are tough to run the football on. That's going to be a great thing to watch in that game against Oregon in, in Eugene next week. But they also have some playmakers in the secondary, and, and they've just improved from a coverage standpoint to where there are not as many open guys and they're not as predictable with their play calling as they were a year ago. I think McGovern's done a good thing. And Latu, oh man, that, that guy is an absolute force. And that's something they've needed because he can generate a pass rush and make plays against the run. Number three, I've got USC. They could be number one. I don't have them there because you can still run on them. And the two teams that are above them, it's a lot tougher to do that uh, on on a general level. But USC does lead the conference in points per game allowed. And that is a really impressive stat to this point. I think Utah could make that average go in the other direction. But the fact that USC has just been forcing turnovers and creating sacks at a nationally great rate. They're tops in the country in both of those categories. That's really impressive. And that unit that it, I mean, if they were to just become solid against the run, that'd be a really good defense because you can't look at it any other way. You talk about the offense a lot, but you can't overlook what the defense is doing. And I think that that showing against Washington state where, you know, they didn't create four or five turnovers or something to hold the opponent to just 14 points. I think that's a big step in the right direction. Number two is that Washington State defense. Yes, USC got to 30 points, but they had to work for it. And yeah, Oregon got to 44 points, but that was with a pick six, and they had to work for it late. And they they are fast. They are physical. They create havoc plays. Dickert has instilled that as the identity of the team, and I really like that Washington State defense. They fly around, man. They fly around, and they play hard. They play really hard. And if Oregon State's not careful, they could turn the ball over three times. 
this week at home in Corvallis. That is 100% possible. And the best defense, I'm still riding with the Utes, if not only because, and this is going to be tested, right? This will 100% be tested if I'm wrong then I'll come on here and eat crow. But I think that that Utah defense is going to have its best game of the year led by the best defensive player in the, in the conference. That's Clark Phillips. That guy is so good and sign me up for as much Clark Phillips against Jordan Addison content as we can possibly get on Saturday. Kyle Whittingham, Lincoln Riley, make it happen. So once again, offenses one to 12, USC, UCLA, Oregon, Utah, Washington, Arizona, Oregon State, Washington State, Arizona State, Cal, Stanford, Colorado. Defenses 1 to 12, Utah, Washington State, USC, UCLA, Oregon State, Oregon, Cal, Washington, Arizona State, Stanford, Arizona, and Colorado. Those are your halfway rankings for the units for every team. Appreciate everyone listening. See you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day.